so once again, as I said before, uh, these opportunities are an opportunity for us to be able to be blessed by those that God has called and that have gifts. And one such person is Andrew Shroud, who's in, in our presbytery. He may introduce himself a little bit, but uh, right now I'm going to introduce him. Our scripture for tonight comes also from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, <clears throat> starting in verse 19. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, good evening once again. Um, very thankful for the opportunity to be here with you all this evening. Um, I'd invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to open it again to the book of Hebrews. Um, it's amazing to just uh, know how the Lord has knit everything together in our hearts uh, already preparing us. I think my, my sermon's already been introduced, so we'll get right to, to point number one, but uh, just kidding about that. But it's just amazing to just... Uh, already just see how the Lord is working and in this service um, with our call to worship and all of the thoughts that we've already heard this evening. I think that uh, I would just echo the, the, the prayer that the Lord would just use all that is said here uh, to change us as we go forth. Um, by way of introduction, um, my name is Andrew Stroud, um, born and raised in upstate New York, uh, moved to Virginia via college in West Virginia uh, in 2014, met my wife who's a Norfolk native. Uh, we were married in her parents' backyard in 2015 um, and have lived here ever since. So we're members at Trinity around the corner and uh, I'm just very thankful for the chance to, to be with you all this evening. Um, the book of Hebrews has become, for me, one of my favorites, and it's multifaceted in why that is, but mostly because I find it to be just a tremendous encouragement for us. And it's an encouragement, mostly, it's, it's, it's exciting to see how all the threads of Scripture, or of the Old Testament, and the Old Covenant, and all that God had for his people there, find their end and fulfillment in Jesus, uh, but it's an encouragement to me because I find myself very much unlike the audience of the book of Hebrews. That is, I find myself very distracted, very easily distracted, very easily tempted to add something to the sufficiency of Jesus, to add to the work that he's done, to look to something else, to look to something besides what he's done to, to find my, my joy, my salvation, and the fulfillment that he alone can offer. And so the book of Hebrews is famous for uh, some, some very explicit warning passages to not be uh, distracted by such temptations, to not be lured back into a mix of, of the old and mix it together with the new. 
But even in those, those warnings, there is, I just find, such encouragement here for the people of God to, to come to Jesus, to come to the, the salvation and the work that he alone offers. And to me, that is just the ultimate encouragement, to be encouraged to look to Jesus and him alone. And so tonight, that's my prayer, that as we look at these few verses that we've already read from Hebrews chapter 10, that it would just be an encouragement to all of us as we move into the new year to not be tempted to look back, to look to other things, to, to add to the gospel of Christ alone. And so, um, as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, the author of Hebrews connects um, what will end up being the, the third and final section of the book of Hebrews back to the previous two kind of chunks that he's established for us. And so, I love passages that start with therefore, because it gives us just a great hook to uh, kind of find ourselves where we are in the book. And so, as he starts there in verse 19... Those first two words, therefore, brethren, just kind of settle us where we are here in the book of Hebrews. And as I mentioned, the first two sections of Hebrews, uh, the author has really focused on Jesus as a better blank. In chapters 1 through 4, he focuses on Jesus as the better son, the better deliverer. He writes in chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So as we think about Jesus, right away it's established that he is very God of very God. That he is divine in a way that no other prophet or messenger or deliverer or... or um, servant of God has been. He is the very son. And this sonship makes Jesus a, a better deliverer for us, perfected through his suffering that we see described in chapter 3, a better one to escort us into the rest. And so the exhortation at the end of chapter 4 is that we would persevere in our faith, that we would not be like those in the days of Moses who shrunk away, but that we would continue on, focused on Jesus as the better son, the better deliverer. The second, chap, or the second section of the book of Hebrews in chapters 4 through 10, the first part of chapter 10, we see that Jesus is described as the better priest, the mediator, the better representative for the people of God. Um, in, chapter, in chapter 4, the author writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in this section we see that Jesus as the better priest is one who, who holds his office forever. Chapter 7 verse 24 and in chapter 7, verses 26 through 27, we see that Jesus, as the better priest, is one who holds his office righteously. He needs no mediator. He needs no atonement for his own sin. He, by his own righteousness, can mediate a better and new covenant for us. And so this assurance that uh, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Nothing left to be done to his work on our behalf as our priest. 
And so this, therefore, there's so much there. Uh, but that second word of verse 19, the brethren, I think just captures my heart in a special way. That this is a message for followers of Jesus. And that by, by our reading of this word includes us. And so as we reflect on the original context and the temptation that these people had to return back to the ways of Judaism, I think we, still, we can still find for ourselves an encouragement here as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters who have placed our faith in him, that this message is timeless for us, even in the midst of our own temptations to be distracted, to add to the work of Jesus. So on the foundation of what the author has described in these first two sections, he begins this third and final with a similar uh, set of exhortations and encouragements for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at here tonight in verses 19 through 25. We're going to be looking at two realities and three responses. Two things that are as sure as the day that will come tomorrow and three ways that we, as we move in faith, as we live in faith, can respond to these realities that are ours in Jesus. Let's look at them. Starting in verse 19, the first reality is a confident entry. The author writes, Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And so, I just love that, that those three words, since we have. And this just reflects for us, communicates to us a present reality. The, the present tense underscores that this access that the author will describe is a currently present and ongoing reality for us who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is ours. This is a present and true, undeniable thing that is ours through Jesus. But since we have, what is the present reality? What is the present thing that we have? It's confidence. Since we have confidence or a complete freedom, a right to enter the holy place. Um, The thing that came immediately to mind, sometimes I travel for for my full-time job. And uh, one time I was coming back from a trip and I was going to have to be uh, laid over in, I think it was in Denver or some, some airport. And my boss very graciously said, pay for the day pass to the, the United Lounge. And so I got to spend six or seven hours in this lounge where you got to, you could leave your bag. You had all sorts of, of refreshments. There was a, its own restroom where you didn't have to, to travel out into the main concourse. You were able to just kind of get into this exclusive area. Uh, maybe some of you are, are Costco or Sam's Club members where you have, you have a card that grants you access. And I know those are very, very poor representations of this sort of thing, but I think that idea is, is, is helpful for us, that as we think about this confident access, this confident entry, this complete freedom or the right to enter, that those things come to mind. That there's a place for us that where we can kind of flash a badge, where we can, where we can get into someplace exclusive, where there is rest, refreshment, uh, good deals. But this card or, or whatever it is reminds us of a status, an access that we have. And of course for us, this confident entry into the holy place is far greater than any airport lounge or, or store. This is the very presence of God. If you remember from the Old Testament, the the tabernacle was divided into various sections of sequential uh, increasing holiness as the presence of God became more and more real. 
the same as the temple uh, where the, the Ark of the Covenant rested in the very Holy of Holies. But here we have access in a similar way, not only to a, a place where, where God's presence is physically represented or manifested, but a place where regardless of where we are, regardless of what physical circumstances we are in, this holy place, the, the place to which we have this confident entry, is a place of very direct communion with God himself. One commentator writes that it's a place where we have communion with God in his true and spiritual dwelling. We don't have to enter in through a veil. We don't have to worry that we're in the right physical presence. But because of the access, the confident access that Jesus has opened for us, and that is the key, verse 20, that by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. This confident entry that we have would be nothing if it rested in our efforts, if it, if it rested in our, uh, our righteousness to get us in. If we tried to flash the card that said, I, I deserve to have entry to the, the true and spiritual dwelling of God because of who I am or because of what I have done, you ain't getting in. But because of Jesus, because of the blood that he shed on our behalf, because of the new and living way which he brought forth through his own flesh, broken, crushed for us, that is the source of the confidence that we have, that we can enter in, that we have the complete freedom, the right to enter into this place. Whereby the very body and blood of Jesus is the veil through which we pass into the presence of God. One commentator writes, Jesus has opened the way for entrance. As the old covenant priest had to pass through the veil, the new covenant people of God enter his presence via the sacrificial death of Christ himself. So our first reality is this confident and Confident entry that we have, this confident access. The second is, in verse 21, that we have a great priest. The author writes, and since, the same, same sort of expression, since we have this present reality, a great priest over the house of God. I love the way that John frames this in his first epistle, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. That we have a priest who, as we mentioned earlier, has no need for a sacrifice to be made on his behalf, has no need for his own sins to be atoned for. This priest that we have in Jesus is one in whom we can trust, and one in whom there is no deficiency, no lack, no sin, no marring, one who holds it eternally for us, interceding for us, claiming us as his own. I love the way that verse 21 concludes, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that there's nobody who approaches God by faith in Jesus who's excluded or any less advocated for by this great priest Jesus. We are all together in our need for such a priest, but all together in our confidence that Jesus alone intercedes for us. And so I think the best way to sum up these two realities is first ad access and advocacy. We have through Jesus access into the very holy place of God. We have in Jesus an advocate for when we sin, we have a righteous priest who can intercede for us. And so out of these two realities, out of these two 
things that the author of Hebrews reminds his audience as he has built up this message. Don't turn back. Don't forsake Jesus. Don't try to add to him because he alone is sufficient to provide access, to be an advocate. So as we have these two realities in verses 22 through 25, the author will write three uh, exhortations or imperatives for us built upon not only the foundation of these two verses, but of course the whole preceding message of the book itself. But let's look at these in turn, starting in verse 22. The first exhortation, he writes, let us, and I love the, the, the pronoun there where he himself includes his own practice and life and faith in this verse, and this exhortation. But let us first draw near, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One commentator writes that here, the exhortation is that the readers are to seize the opportunity of access to God, which Christ's priesthood and sacrifice have made possible. It's not often in our Christian life, I think, that we, we think in such terms of confidence or that we think in, in ways that might seem to us presumptuous, that we would be able or would be exhorted to seize something. But here the reality of what Jesus has done for us and who he is as our entryway and as our advocate allows for us to draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Uh, the New International Version adds, um, let us draw near to God. And what a profound reality for us that is as followers of Jesus by faith, through him alone, through what he has accomplished for us alone, that we, being made righteous in him, might be exhorted to draw near to the very God of the universe. The idea here of drawing near is that of an approach, and the present tense of the word implies continuous or repeated approaching. This is something that we are privileged to do over and over and over again because of Jesus. There is no exhausting God's invitation for us to be brought near to him. And so this exhortation to us, to the readers of Hebrews, is one of just tremendous invitation. Draw near. And how do we do this? How do we approach? How do we draw near? The manner by which we approach God is with a sincere heart, true, genuine, in full assurance of faith, where the notion of assurance means complete confidence, certainty that is produced by faith. And we'll, we know famously in chapters 11 and 12, uh, mostly in chapter 12, 11, but the, the author of Hebrews will describe for us all of those, or many of those people who have gone before us in faith, who, in spite of their, their sinfulness, have been those that have been able by faith to be brought near to God. We're not holding out for something better. We're not holding out for something that might allow us to draw near or that might allow us to be better. No, the simple exhortation is, Now! Do it now because of Jesus. Do it now because of the work that he has done. Over and over and over again, draw near in full assurance that this is the way that you can be near to God. This is the way that has been provided for you. Maybe you uh, 
over this Christmas season participated in a, in a white elephant gift exchange or a, a secret, I guess a white elephant is, is different than secret Santa, but something where you, where you pick a gift from under the tree and you unwrap it, but man, there's a whole pile of gifts there left to be opened and you kind of just like, man, I don't know if this is what I want to go home with. And so you're kind of holding out that maybe something better will get opened underneath the tree that you'll get to exchange your gift for. Friends, there is nothing better under the tree for us to draw near to God besides Jesus and him alone. There's no need for us to have any doubt or lack of faith whereby we think maybe this whole drawing near thing is is not quite a full invitation. Maybe there's something that I need to add to this. Maybe there's something better to come along that might get me a little bit closer to God. No, Because of Jesus, this exhortation, draw near, allows us or calls to us to be fully assured that our faith in Jesus allows and permits us close to him. But also think about what has been done to us, what has been been acted upon us. The end of verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As the author of Hebrews has, has contrasted the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant with the, the better sacrifice that Jesus provides, um, he's made allusions to the, the cleansing rituals that the priest would encounter or the, the, the sprinkling of the ashes of the sacrifice that might make for a year or a day or whatever season that particular sacrifice allowed the the recipient to be clean, to be uh, permitted to to be near to God in some sense. But here, the, 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 the cleansing that has been enacted upon us through the work of God on our behalf, through Jesus, is that of inward permanency. That the whole body is in view, cleansed and purified by God. It's not just an outward cleansing as in the old covenant, but inwardly, God has made our heart of stone a heart of flesh, and it will not return back to a heart of stone. These are actions, one commentator writes, which have already been accomplished for us at the moment of conversion, when the atonement is applied to our hearts, resulting in the forgiveness of sins, internal cleansing, and the deliverance from a guilty conscience. Friends, I don't know what uh, you might be encountering in your personal life, what sins are easily besetting you. I know which ones are besetting me. And I know that for, for most of us, all of us, the voice of shame can be so sharp, so distinct. I don't know if you're quite qualified to draw near to God. I don't know if, if you're really dealing with that sin the right way. Why don't you just kind of sit and stew in it a little bit longer? And friends, I want us to hear tonight that the blood of Jesus, that the sprinkling and the, the cleansing of our conscience and our inward body that he alone offers frees us from that shame, allows us because of him to have confidence that we can accept this invitation, this exhortation to draw near, that you have been made clean in Jesus, that you are in the beloved, that you are righteous in him, and that shame has no hold over you because of him and the work that he has done on your behalf. The second exhortation is found in verse 23. 
where again the author says, let us hold fast. So let us draw near, now let us hold fast. Hold fast to what? The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It can be very easy in this day and age of so many conflicting voices, so many things that say, Jesus, good way, probably not the only way. Or, Jesus, not quite as good as your blank. Your morality, your position on this certain issue. Friends, our confession that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior of the world, as the Apostle said in the book of Acts, there is no other name given under heaven by which men might be saved. This is a confession, not of just rigid religion, not just of cold-heartedness. This is a confession of hope. This is a confession of truth. This is a confession of confidence. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of so much distraction, in the midst, in this context of those things that would say, come back to the old ways. Come back to what you know and what was comfortable to you. The author of Hebrews says, no, hold fast to the confession of our hope of Jesus alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. And it can be easy for us to give up this hope, to become distracted, to not hold it unswervingly. But what is the grounds that leads us to this holding fast? It's at the end of verse 23 there. For he who promised is faithful. When our hope wavers tomorrow, in this coming year, when we doubt the truth of the gospel, when we doubt the sufficiency of Jesus, our holding fast to that confession will only be be possible because It is him who has promised, and he is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Our hope, giving belief, the confidence that we have in our confession is grounded and secured in him and him alone and who he is. Thirdly, the last exhortation in verses 24 through 25, the author writes, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This exhortation, let us consider, conveys the the concept of careful consideration, thoughtful attention, deep concern. And friends, I think that that is such a beautiful Um, calling for us as brothers and sisters, as members of a church, how are we carefully considering, giving thoughtful attention to um, the provocation of one another to love and good deeds? This word here, stimulate, uh, is, is, a, is a strong word that normally has a, a negative connotation of, of kind of, of stirring up, agitating. But here it has a very positive connotation that as we think about one another, as we consider all of us together in this same um, place where we all are easily distracted, where we all are easily tempted to forsake the sufficiency of Jesus, 
where we're tempted to, to not be drawing near, where we're tempted to, to not quite hold to our confession. Here we have the beautiful image of one another, of all of us together, stimulating, encouraging, provoking one another. Not to agitation, not to um, being angry, not to being um, morose about the condition of our world, but provoking one another to love and good deeds, to love and good works, to living out our faith, to having the evidence and the fruit of Christ's work in and through us be evident and known to all. But it's going to be hard to do that if we're not together. And so he says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Friends, we need each other. All of this that the author of Hebrews is calling his readers to, calling us to, these exhortations will not happen for us by ourselves. We cannot do this alone. We cannot hold fast alone. We cannot draw near alone. Our confidence will waver if we are alone. And so we need one another. We need Christian community. We need worship together. We need a place in lives touching one another so that we can encourage and exhort one another in these things. And so we encourage, we urgently insist that one another love, obey, do what is right. And this also includes an awareness of the impending day of the Lord, a day of rescue and judgment when Christ will return. I love the, the explanation that the angel gives to the disciples after Christ's ascension. When they're all standing with their necks craned up, he says, this same Jesus will come. And I can think of no greater encouragement for us as we think about these things, as we think about the, the, the access that Jesus provides, as we think about the confidence that we have, as we think about drawing near through him to know He's coming. He's returning. That we will see him as he is. That this Jesus in which we have all of these things will return. Will call us to himself. Or we will have fellowship with him forever as our advocate, as our great high priest. We will know him and be known by him in a way that we can only imagine. But also, the 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 flip side or the other side of that promise is that these days will be full of trouble. And like Peter exhorts his readers that uh, as we think about what is coming, as we think about the judgment and the, the days of tribulation that the return of the Lord might bring, that we should consider what manner of men ought we to be. And so as we think about the return of the Son, we think about ways in which we live. We think about ways that we can honor him and not be ashamed of him at his coming. So we keep caring. We keep gathering. We keep encouraging. We keep loving. And we keep doing what is right. Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done. And because of what he has promised. And so tonight as we conclude, our way of application is simply a few questions that on the basis of what we've heard tonight, do we believe that Jesus provides confident entry for you 
into the very presence of God, apart from any works or righteousness which you possess or lack, only through the work which he accomplished through his flesh and blood. The encouragement for us is to believe that whatever tomorrow might bring, whatever this new year might bring, to believe in Christ alone for, his, for our humble and confident entry into the holy place of God. But do we believe that Jesus provides a priesthood for us, a ministry of intercession for all of the household of God, so that we all sinners alike can live in harmony together because we all share the same need and dependency on Christ's work for us? Do we believe that for our neighbor who irks us, for our brother and sister who have offended us in the ways that we have hurt and offended them, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, and his work for us unites us in our repentance, in our reconciliation with one another. And lastly, are we, as the exhortations follow, drawing near? Maybe you, because of the way that this year has ended or because of the ways that you are aware that you've fallen short, you feel like God is very distant. You feel like there's not any way I'm getting near to him anytime soon. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage us to put those thoughts aside and because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done to draw near tonight on your way home, Say, Father, I believe, help my unbelief. Draw near to me. Help me to draw near to you in full assurance of faith, trusting that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, that you are his, the beloved of God, sanctified, cleansed by him for his glory. Are you holding fast to the confession of hope? These are hard days days in which there is great confusion. And so the encouragement for us is, are we holding fast, hoping not in something else to save us, not in something else to restore some sort of peace and order, but holding fast to the confession of hope of Jesus alone? And lastly, are we stirring up one another? Are we encouraging one another to love and good works? Are we faithfully bringing people in, meeting together, and how might we intentionally live as communi in community together in a way that is aware of the imminent return of Jesus as a source of hope and encouragement for us as we think of these things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son, for the access that we have in and through him, for the holiness that he affords us as we are in him, united by your spirit, Help us, Father, to draw near to you in full assurance of faith because of Jesus. Help us, Father, to hold fast to the confession of our hope that Jesus alone can save, Jesus alone can rescue. And help us, Father, as we live together, as we worship together, help us to encourage one another to love and good works. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would send your son soon to rescue us, to restore this creation, to help us, to have, to, to have us together for all eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.